0: Anyone able to identify with that? Like the only time you get rest, and you probably don't even get rest then, is when you lay your head on a pillow, like all those things that I don't mean like the people are talking in your head, like you're crazy, you need to be uh, locked up somewhere. I mean the, the thoughts that just are endlessly going on, the endless conversation that goes on in your head. Anyone this morning? Like we try to do a lot of ways to distract it, right? We try to put music in our heads. We try to read a book. We try to go places. And yet everywhere we go, there we go. And for a lot of us, we don't live the life God ultimately had for us in a full life because those, we, we go crazy in our crazy making in our heads. This is what it looks like for me. Jenny, can I attest to this i'll sit on the couch and i'll have a blank stare and i'll be somewhere in saudi arabia like i won't be anywhere near middle tennessee i will be as far away as i can get from this place with the crazy making in my head and yet i came to this passage this week and began to study this passage and i thought Man, what would it look like if I were to be able to say, what would it look like if you were to be able to say, and what would it look like for us collectively as a church to be able to say these few words? I have quieted, I have calmed and quieted my soul. What would that look like for us, church? The Spurgeon says this, the great a theologian, the great Baptist preacher said this about this text it is one of the shortest psalms to read but the longest to learn it's one of the shortest three small verses one of the shortest psalms in all of the book of psalms but is it not true it's one of the longest to learn like we're here this morning and many of us identified, yeah, man, it, that, that thing is still running right now as I sit in this pew. It's still going. Even for me, I'm up front, I'm singing, I'm thinking, but there's a part of me that's thinking about something else already. What's going to happen this evening at VBS? What's going to happen this week at VBS? How, how's my schedule going to work with all that's going on? Like I'm here and I'm singing and yet there's that one little part of me that's not quieted and calmed here's what one man said about this passage and I love it I think there's no better way to intro this passage than what David Pallison says he says God speaks to us in many different ways when you hear now now it came to pass settle down for a long story when God asserts I am trust his self-revelation when he promises i will bank on it when he tells you you shall you shall not do what he says psalm 131 is yet a different in a different vein most of it is a holy eavesdropping you have an intimate access to the inner life of someone who has learned composure and then he invites you to come along Psalm 131, show and tell for how to become peaceful inside. And we got to know who wrote this psalm first and foremost. You see at the top, it's a psalm of David. If there's anyone in life that didn't have to have a quieted soul and a calm soul, wouldn't it have been David. Think about David from an early age. David was in uh, in the sheep pen with his father's sheep when what came upon him? Lions and bears, it says. Now, I'll tell you one thing. If a bear or a lion come after me, I'm not going to have a calm and quieted soul. I'm going to go crazy. And think about David. When David went out, just as a teenage boy, he slung a rock into the forehead of a giant. And it crumbled. And yet David is able to say, I calmed and quieted my soul. Think about David after he killed Goliath. The people of Israel rallied around David when Saul was still their king. It forced David to to begin to hide from Saul because Saul wanted to kill him. I would not have a calm and quieted soul if someone was out to kill me. Would you? If you think about David again, David continues in and becomes the king, and even when he becomes the king, he's then chased around by his own son to get killed. He becomes a a cave dweller. I think about David, when he did experience an unquieted soul, when he had uh, Bathsheba and brought her over to his house and then eventually he killed his wife and all the chaos that broke out after that. And yet David pens this psalm near the end of his life, I believe, where he could say, I have calmed and quieted my soul. And so we have this moment in this chapter to look, how is it that we can have calmed and quieted souls is that not true do we not all long for that amen if there's anyone here that doesn't want a calm and quieted soul i invite you to just jack will move out of the side you can go home but i hope and pray that all of us this morning would say yes i want that in my life like i don't just want quietness when my head is on a pillow and my eyelids are shut i want to be totally present wherever i go with a calmed and quieted soul. And so David pens this small psalm and gives us insight on how he did that. How he did that is he addresses three sins. There's three sins that he addressed that all of us in the room must address before we leave here today, if we desire to have a calm and quieted soul. The first one is this, pride. The second one is worry, and the last one is discontentment. So let's look at the first one, pride. How is it that we see David is talking about pride? What David is saying is there's the flip side to the psalm. The psalm, he's saying, hey, this is what I have. And this is what I'm doing in order to have it, which means he had to have dealt with pride. He's saying, I've dealt with the pride in my life now that I have a calmed and quieted soul. How do we know it's pride? It's what it says in verse 1. And, O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up My eyes are not raised too high. You see, we see pride David has overcome through what we'll see at the very end through the hope of Christ. How do we know it's pride? Because he says these words, oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. I have not lifted my heart up. I don't sit with a raised heart in pride. You see, pride is this. Simply put, pride says I don't Need God, and I am God. If we really boil down pride, pride says, I've got it all together, and I don't need any help, and I definitely don't need God's help. You see, David experienced pride. Remember the day of his sin with Bathsheba. That was a very prideful man. The first thing it says in the text is that that's the moment that kings were to go into war. And what did David say? I don't need to go. Everyone else can do but in my pride, I'm going to sit at home and I'm going to be the king. And I'm going to be disobedient to what God's called me to as a king. That's pride. C.S. Lewis says this about pride. Pride is the root of all evil. It's the root of all sin. It's what happened in the garden. Yes, it was disobedience, but it was disobedience through pride. Remember when the serpent came to Adam and Eve and he said to them, hey, you, you don't really need God. That's pride. And they believed it. And they took the fruit and they ate it. And all hell literally broke loose. Literally hell broke loose. It was the first time that there was separation between God and man because of their pride. And now David says this, I am sitting here today And I'm not a prideful man. So how is it do we come to a place in our lives that we don't have pride? I believe it's two ways. And it's in this passage. The first says this. The first way that we don't have pride in our life is that we don't have hearts that are lifted up. We come to a true place in our lives that say, hey, I must humble myself under the mighty hand of God. I must live humbly under God and God alone. You see, if I have a true idea of who God is, then I'm going to have a true recognition of who I am. There's this holiness of God. And if I'm looking at God and his holiness, his holiness is going to point into me all the places of my life that are not holy. Therefore, I can live without pride because I have a true, honest recognition of the holiness of God. And if I really have the true, honest recognition of the holiness of God, then I'm going to say I am not God because I look at all the flaws in my life you see that's the first place to tackle pride so this morning the question is for you do you see yourself as a sinner in great need of God's redemption and God's help on a daily basis we are fallen creatures that need a holy God that's what Jared sang about we need him You see, my great fear for us as mature believers, most of us in the room, is we would have said that 30 years ago. We would have said that 50 years ago. We would have said that 60 years ago when we walked in aisle, prayed a prayer, oh, I need God. But from that moment on, your life, my life has not dictated to anyone else that we really need God. We need God to get out hell, but we don't need God for his righteousness, his holiness, and for our sanctification. We just don't want to go to hell. But we really don't want sanctification. You see, pride says, I don't need God. All I need God for is to get out of hell. But the rest, I'll do it on my own. So this morning, do you have a proper view of you? And do you have a proper view of God because if you do, then there's no way to live a prideful life. There's no way. Because I'll wake up, you'll wake up, we as the church will wake up every morning and we'll see, man, I desperately need Jesus today just as much as when I placed my hope and faith in Him when I came to salvation. I've taught on it before, I'll teach on it again. You need God today as much as you did on the day of your salvation. I would venture to say this, maybe even more so. Because justification is in God and God alone. But sanctification, the ongoing process to become like Jesus, you and I get to play a part in that. And therefore, I desperately need Jesus to wake my lazy behind out of bed to get into God's word. I need him to do that for me. But I need to be in God's word. He's not going to flap the book open and push my nose into it. And so I desperately need Jesus, probably today more than I ever have, before and i hope that's true tomorrow i hope that there's 10 years 20 years 30 years from today but i wake up i need you jesus that's the first way we tackle pride the second way is in the second half of the verse and my eyes are not raised too high it's what the the tax collect the pharisee and tax collector did in luke 18 it's what the the, the pharisee said in luke 18 9 He also told the parable to him. Jesus is telling the parable to some who trusted in themselves. Is that not pride? And they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And he tells the parable in verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. And the one Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like the other men extortionists unjust adulterers and even like this tax collector i do this i fast twice a week i give tithes that all i have and so the other way of looking at pride is this that we have to take our eyes off of other people we have to take our eyes off of other people we have to put our eyes on jesus take our eyes off of other people because you and i were always going to find someone in our life that we're more holy than We'll judge ourselves compared to X, Y, and Z. Like we'll look at the news and say, man, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. I'm glad I haven't done what she did. I'm glad I'm not doing what he's doing. We'll always find someone we can be more holy than. And so another way to take pride out of our lives is we take our eyes off of comparing us, ourselves to other people. Yeah, I've given this analogy before. You see, when, when I went to the Dominican Republic, I was a pretty tall person. Like, I mean, I could stand in the airport and look, and every Dominican was about at uh, chest high. And I was like, man, I wish I could play basketball here. But then I had the opportunity to visit a friend who plays professional sports. He played Uh, For the Broncos, he was 6'6", 312 pounds, uh, 10% body fat. And he invited me to hang out with some of the other uh, NFL players. And I thought, man, I'm pretty tiny. So what do I want to do? I want to focus on the DR and how tall I am rather than focus on what I'm not over here. So it's either way. I'm going to judge myself more highly than this or I'm going to downgrade myself because of this. And one of the ways of pride is, hey, let's stop looking at other people let's look at ourselves let's judge ourselves rather than using others to bring judgment upon us that's what he says i have not raised my eyes too high i don't look down on anyone and so the sin of pride how do we do this we do this from philippians chapter 2 the greatest example of how to live a humble life comes to us in philippians chapter 2 let's turn there for a moment Philippians chapter 2 says this. It's one of my favorite passages about the gospel. It says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's pride. Pride. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That's what we just talked about. Well, how do we do that, Paul? Let us not look out for our own interests, but also the interests of others. Having this in mind among us, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So we have to have the mind of Christ Jesus to live a humble life, to live without pride. Well, how did Jesus do it? Who, though was in the form of God, did not count equality With God, something to be grasped. But what did he do? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him at the name that every knee shall bow. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of God the Father. And so, how do we live humble lives? Our greatest example of how to live a humble life is Jesus Christ. How did He do it? He did it by emptying Himself for you and I on a cross. The way we live humble lives is Are you and I willing to empty ourselves daily the way Christ Jesus did it for us? You think about Jesus. Anyone who could have been okay with having pride, would it not be Jesus? He was perfect. He walked on water, literally. That's not an expression. He literally walked on water. He went to heaven and came back down. He rose people from the dead. He slapped a dude's ear back on the side of his face when his buddy cut it off. Like if there's anyone that could have a pride, would not it been Jesus? And yet Jesus said, no, not my will be done in the garden, but your will be done. He emptied himself of everything to the point of death. Are we willing to do that? Because if we're willing to do that, then we'll eradicate pride in our life. You see, what happens if we don't eradicate pride in our life, it goes to the next part of the psalm. What happens if we don't eradicate pride? It always leads to this. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Right? Always. If pride is in our life, Pride will always lead to worry and anxiety. That's what we're doing when we're staying up late at night or sitting on our couch when we're trying to solve the world's problems, basically. We're putting our minds on things that can only be solved by Christ Jesus. And so what David is saying, the way I've calmed my soul, the way I've quieted my soul, is that I do not occupy myself with great things too marvelous for me. I do not think about the things that can only be caused and created and cured by God and God alone but see when I live a prideful life my pride says man I've got to fix everything and then my brain goes to fixing everything right is that not what we're thinking about most of the days how do I solve this problem I caused this problem so now how do I solve the problem And that's where the rats begin to take the race in the brain. And we know we've sat long enough with the same problem for many days and at the end of it, we still have no solution to the problem, correct? You see, if I don't deal with pride, it will always lead me to worry and anxiety. Always. And yet, David says, hey, because I've taken my eyes off of myself, I've put my eyes onto Jesus, then I can say, without a shadow of doubt, that God can solve all of my problems. See, worry says God can't fix the problem. If we boil it down to its roots. When we worry, we're simply saying to God, you can't handle this mess, which, which I'm in. And so what happens? Satan uses the mess we're in to keep us away from pursuit of God. Because when I worry, I promise this, my thought process is not on the whole, with the Holy Spirit in tune to the Lord Jesus. It's just not. Like, I think to myself, man, I, I don't have 30 minutes to spend with Jesus because I've got to solve the problem I'm in. When 30 minutes with Jesus would most likely solve the problem. But that's what happens When we worry. It's what Jesus says and begs of us in Matthew chapter 6. We can turn there for a moment. Matthew chapter 6. He states it very plainly. In verse 25 of chapter 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious or do not worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Is that not true for us? Do we believe that passage? Like, if we really look at all of creation, how God has provided all of creation, and yet we're the one thing, the imago Dei, the image of God, will God not care for us? But our worry says, no, He won't. And our worry says, I better fix it because God can't or won't, or He's busy doing something else. And so we must deal with our pride so we can really deal with being worried and eradicate worry from our lives. It's what He tells us, through Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings, but in all of your ways and all of your mind, acknowledge Him and He'll make your path straight. You see, when we don't deal with pride, we'll have worry, and if we have worry, which will lead us to the last point, we will always be discontent. And that's what David says in this passage. I've dealt with my pride, I've dealt with being worried, and now I can come to verse 2 and I can really say I've quieted my soul, I've calmed my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. You see, if you've ever weaned a child, it is a horrendous process. I'm glad I'm not a mom, that would be 10 times worse. But as a dad, when we weaned Tennyson and we weaned Cedar, it it was this process, this long process, because all they were going to Jenny for was for one thing and one thing only. It was a a very one-sided relationship, correct? A nursing child is a very uh, selfish child. They care about one thing and one thing only. Feed me, feed me now, and feed me more. Right? And so David is saying, we, if we don't become like weaned children, what is a weaned child? A weaned chi- a, an unweaned child is a very discontented child. They will throw a fit like no other. Anyone remember those days? Like, good night. Like, something just crawled up in that dude's body because that wasn't what was sitting there five minutes ago. And now all of a sudden they get hungry and they go on a rampage. Well, that's true in our souls. Like if we don't deal with pride and we get into worry, worry says, I've got to fix it. Then how do I fix it? I've got to make sure all the things around me fix the problem. It's living a discontented life. That's why so many people get hooked on drugs and alcohol and pornography because of all the pride and all the worry. The thing that medicates the worry and the pride is the external. That's why the saying goes, one drink is too many and a thousand's not enough that's why one dollar if, if your whole goal is money to bring you satisfaction you'll never make them enough money I, I remember being in high school thinking man man i can't wait to push that buggy to get some uh, a two dollar tip from the lady man and that lady gave me a three dollar tip it was like heaven well now if I, someone gave me three dollars i'd be like really Like where, as in high school, man, $3 was a big deal. Now $3 is like, for real? Why? Because my soul gets discontent. Because what used to satisfy the soul, if it's external, never brings true satisfaction. I'll always need and want more. I'll need a better job. I'll need a bigger house. I'll need a better car. I'll need a bigger bank account. I'll need two bank accounts. And what David is saying, if we get content with the world, with life, with God, then we can be like weaned children. That we can sit in what all that God has provided for us. I wonder for us, church, how many of us don't live uh, contented lives because of our worry and because of our pride, and therefore we don't live a peaceful life. Because we're always thinking about the next thing that could bring satisfaction. Just get a six-year-old. I'll let you babysit Cedar and Tennyson. Like, I remember went to her birthday this past year. Now, who came up with this genius idea? I'll never know, but they made millions. And I was a fool and went and bought one. There's this thing called, uh, uh, they're about animals. and They got to peck through a, a shell. It was a very expensive animal. And so Tennyson had been talking about it and talking about it. And so for her birthday, we bought it for her. And the thing lasted for half the afternoon when it finally busted through the shell. That girl hasn't picked up that stupid animal since. Like it lasted till the afternoon, literally. We bought it, gave it to her. She unwrapped it, went crazy, sat and watched this thing peck through a shell. As soon as the shell popped off and it came out of the shell, she was like, oh, what's next? What's next? I don't wonder how I do that in my life with certain things. How you do that. How do we come content? I believe we have to live out what Paul says in Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need. The key word in that passage is need. Every need according to His, not yours, His Riches and glory in Christ Jesus, which leads us to the last point. You see, when we live with pride and we live with worry and we live with discontent, we'll never point people to the last one. We'll never point them to have hope in the Lord. And David is saying, when I eradicate pride and I eradicate worry and I eradicate discontentment, I'll come to myself and say, I'm not the one that did that. You cannot, let me say this over and over, you cannot take pride out of your life. You cannot remove worry from your life, and you cannot in and of yourself be content. You need something way bigger than yourself to enter into your life, to bring you to a place of recognition that, man, without you, God, I am nothing. That's called eradication of pride, but that's God in your life. When you really trust in God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your understandings, then you'll eradicate worry in your life but it will be him doing the process when you come to a true place in your life that God has given me everything that I need who gave it to you God gave it to you did not give it to yourself you really come to the last point which is man there is a hope for the world you see we can look at the news and know that the world is a very hopeless place we can look at the world and see the world is trying to, in all sorts of ways, find hope. And yet, the one person or the one persons that hold the key to it all are you and I. We have the hope of Jesus Christ. So he says to them, O Israel, hope in the Lord. So the question has to be this this morning. Have you placed your hope in him first? Do you really have hope in the Lord this morning? Do you have hope this morning? Because if you don't have hope, then the five-mile radius of every man, woman, and child within the five-mile radius of this, this church, they won't ever see the hope that's in you and won't want what you have if you don't have the hope. And so the question this morning as we come to the Lord is twofold. Do you live a very prideful, worried-filled, discontented life? Because if you do, I would say you have not placed your hope and faith in Christ Jesus. I would say this to the believer this morning. If those three things are evident in your life then I ask you to do one thing and one thing only. It's called confession. Just confess to a holy God. God, I do have pride in my life, and I do have worry in my life, and I do have discontentment in in my life. And I need you, the hope of the gospel, to intervene for me, to do for me what I could not do for myself. My hope is that all of us this morning would leave here with that hope. The assurance that Jesus Christ said what he said he did. That he would emptied his life for you and for me to have a full life. Are you experiencing a full, abundant life this morning? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I pray that each of us this morning would pray these words. The same words that David prayed thousands of years ago. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up my eyes are not raised too high, I do not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth forevermore. God, I pray that be true for all of us. I pray if there's anyone in this place this morning that through your Holy Spirit, has pointed out to them pride in their life, that they would come and they'd confess that to you. They'd repent that, God. I pray there's people that in here this morning that are just caught up with worry. That God, through your Holy Spirit, through your gentle way that you do it, that you would bring peace to them. And they would hear simply, I've got it. God, I pray if there's anyone in here this morning that lives a discontented life. God, that they'd leave here this morning. If they're a believer, they would know this, that they have it all already because of the finished work of your son, Jesus. God, I pray if there's anyone in this room this morning that does not know you as Savior, that they'll never be able to live without pride and without worry and without discontentment. I pray that's them through the prompting of your Holy Spirit that you draw them to yourself. God, let us here at Powell's Chapel be a church of true repentance and confession. We need you, God. Praise in Christ Jesus' holy name. Amen. You're here this morning, you don't know Christ and you want an opportunity to hear more about him please come find me I'll be up front if you're here this morning and you're struggling with pride or struggling with worry or struggling with discontentment the altars are open come and confess if you need someone to pray for you I'm here the deacons are here we'd love to pray over you and for you that you would experience what Jesus offered us at the cross a full and abundant life